I feel like I need to say right up front, I voted against using that music. Um, <laughs> when, when we were talking about that a couple months ago, I said that'll creep people out, and, um, and it does. Um, so happy Halloween. We're glad you're here um, for today's, today's message. My name is Nathan Hinkle. I'm the campus pastor here, and um, it's, man, it's great to be here with you. It's a good day, and if you're a guest with us, um, th- thank you for being here. You came at a great time, uh, though we are talking about some pretty heavy stuff in this series. We think it's really important, we're con- so we're continuing our series called Light in the Darkness. Um, there are things that many of us suffer from that um, we don't really know what to do with it. There are things that many of us in this room suffer from, and you love people, you care about people who suffer from these things. And none of us know sometimes what to do with it. And so when we don't know what to do with it, it means that sometimes we do nothing. Sometimes we do the wrong thing. We don't know what to say to people who are suffering. Um, We don't know how to approach them. Sometimes we say the right, sometimes we say the wrong thing. And ultimately, whether you're a person of faith or not, and I know that the whole gamut is here in this room, we don't know how our faith or how God interacts with this pain. And so where that leaves people who are suffering from the things that we talk about during this series, like chronic illness, mental illness, anxiety, or suicide, it leaves those, those of us who, who have suffered, or those of you who have suffered, or the people that you care about who have, and it leaves those like you and I who may care for those people. It puts all of us in a place of isolation or fear, embarrassment, and hopelessness. So what we want to do through this series, and particularly today, we want, I want to show you that you have a heavenly father who walks with you, who loves you deeply, that he's very interested in working in the middle of your pain. I don't think there's a person in this room who has not been impacted by the tragedy of suicide. Every person in this room, you went to school with someone, you worked with someone, you loved someone who has attempted or committed suicide and taken their own life. We've all been impacted by it. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and this statistic is from 2013, so it's a little dated, but 9.3 million people in America in 2013 admitted that they had contemplated taking their own life. 9.3 million. It was about 4% of our population. And that's just the people who responded to the survey honestly. 4%. That would be maybe five people in this room who have seriously considered taking your own life. Five people in this room. Maybe more. It impacts all of us. I remember when I was 11, my mom getting a phone call that my grandmother, her mom, had taken her life. And that's a strange thing to have to work through as an 11-year-old, but even more strange to watch my mom have to work through the implications 
of her mother taking her life. The questions that go unanswered, right? Uh, the grief. Maybe guilt. Embarrassment. I grew up with a cousin of mine. We're a distant cousin. His name's Josh. There's a picture of us. Um, that's Josh right here on the left, by the way, if you can't tell. That's me. I'm probably 15 in that picture. I don't know. Um, but you see that look I'm giving him? I don't know if anybody wants to caption that and just guess what I'm thinking about. Josh was goofy. It's, he was crazy goofy. I mean, fun guy. He and I grew up together. Um, all of our lives we grew up. We were the same age. I actually give that look to my kids now. Same, it's the same look. Um, and they give it to me. So... Um, and Josh and I grew up together. We wrote, we had fun um, writing comic books. We would like write comic strips and come up with these characters and these superheroes. Um, a lot of toilet humor in our comics. If you're ever interested, I could share some with you. Um, you know, we would go outside and we would like play war, you know, in the woods. Um, we would make, I mean, ridiculously stupid home movies, right? Um, and, and just had a, an incredible time growing up with Josh. When Josh was 23 years old, um, he locked himself in a bathroom and shot himself. Josh and his wife was the first wedding I ever performed as a pastor. It was in the backyard of his parents' house. And then tragically, a few years later, he was the first funeral I performed as a pastor as well. It was my best friend growing up. The statistics on suicide run a gamut. Age, social class, race. But there's some common factors that kind of just bring suicide really just to kind of like it in focus no matter how old you are, how much money your parents make, or the color of your skin. In 2017, 47,000 Americans killed themselves. 47,000 people. Since 2011, hospital, hospital admissions for teenagers who had attempted to take their own life has doubled since 2011. And 2016 was the first year. It doesn't necessarily mean it has been since then, but in 2016, suicide became the second leading cause of death of Americans ages 10 to 34. We have a problem. And the Ross local community, as well as Coleraine just north of us, is not unfamiliar with the pain of this issue. With our students, with our children, it's here. It's not just national, it's close. It's us. Why do people commit suicide? And I was just looking through some of the, the, the top reasons that mental health professionals have gathered. I wanted to share a few of them with you, reasons why most people attempt or follow through with suicide. Depression and mental illness, traumatic stress, substance abuse, Loss, or this one just pierces my heart, or, or just the fear of loss. Hopelessness, 
chronic pain and terminal illness, the belief that your life is a burden to others, which is a, a leading reason that many people will give, social isolation. One thing I read a few years ago was that in 2011, there was a dramatic spike in teen suicide. Dramatic. In fact, it's doubled since then. And one researcher in San Diego said that that was the year that smartphone ownership eclipsed 50% of the U.S. population. More than half in 2011 owned smartphones. And they linked it to smartphone and social media and teens feeling socially isolated. And it's doubled their suicide attempts. Finally, a cry for help as a reason why people will attempt to take their own life. So as I was preparing to share some of this with you today, I kept thinking, so what are some takeaways, just real quick, even as we start this conversation this morning, what are some things that I just initially say that we have to walk away with? One is that we have a mental health crisis in this country, right? There's a mental health crisis in this country, and we need to pay attention to it, and we need to act on it. And some of the ways that, that we can do that is um, when you leave here today on your left across from the hub as you're walking out the corridor here, we have a representative from Counseling Alliance whose office is here in our city. Um, great, great group of wonderful people. And there's a table there and Paula's there and you can stop by and ask her questions. They've got resources on the table from Counseling Alliance. Also, there is an insert in your program, possibly one of the most important inserts that you will ever find in your program. And, and if you pull that out, on one side, it says suicide assessment. And I encourage you to fill that out. Fill it out. To, if you're married, your spouse fills it out. If you have teenagers, um, fill it out. You know, you know honestly, we, we may even have extra programs here in the back on this table. Um, or come see me, and we'll pull some of these out of some extra programs if you just want to take that. But I encourage you to, to that, that's a tool to help you, to help your family. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about mental illness specifically here on the platform uh, in our Light in the Darkness series. Also in your program, on the other side of that suicide assessment, on the other side, it's the suicide awareness assessment prevention tool. And that's for the, those of us who, who, who love people, who, who love our kids, who love our friends, who, who may or may not be in a dark place, for us to, to have awareness of some changes in their behavior that you can be looking for if someone is maybe per, perhaps considering hurting themselves, an assessment of questions that you can ask them, ask, love, listen, connect, and then some prevention tools as well. This is by far I'm just going to go ahead and say it, probably the most important insert, all right, you're ever going to find in our program. You, you can find this tool on our website and on the app as well, all right? Hold on to this. Mental illness crisis, but there's also another crisis. We have an identity crisis. I think we don't know who we are. So questions of the identity crisis sound like this. Can my life get better from here? Is this pain going to always be here? Does anybody care? Is there any hope? Do I matter? These are questions of identity. In church, I think we've got a problem. 
I know we've got a problem. Every person, every man, every woman, every grandparent, every teenager, and God help us, children, our children, 10 years old. We need to lean into this conversation. And all of us have these, ultimately, these same driving questions in our life. And here's, here's four of the drivers that I believe are the main drivers that every child, every teenager, every adult, every older adult has. Here they are. Who am I? Why am I here? Where do I belong? And how should I live? Who am I? Why am I here? Where do I belong? And how should I live? So this is our big idea for today, and I encourage you to take lots of notes. I think this is going to be some good tools for you. Here's our big idea that we're going to really press into today. Take your questions to God. Take your questions to God. John, um, one of Jesus' closest friends, he records this incredible thing that Jesus says. In John chapter 10.10, he quotes Jesus, and here's what Jesus says in John chapter 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And what I love that Jesus puts it, what Jesus actually does there is he uncomplicates some things. So let me help us to deconstruct some things, okay? I, that what Jesus is saying here is that first, first of all, life is not just random, okay? Life does just not happen to you. And some people get it good and some people get it bad and you're just gonna have to just deal with it and work it out and just like hack your way through life. Jesus is saying life is not this random happenstance, Jesus is also saying that your circumstances and your relationships and good luck, those don't drive you. Life is not determined for you. you were, so, for, so for example, what Jesus is saying, teenagers, adults, listen, like you weren't like meant to suffer like, you don't have this lot in life that you are just like, and you're just like meant to live there. Life is not determined for you. There's something very powerful at work in all of our lives. And it's actually far less complicated than, than the randomness that we sometimes feel or the determined that we feel like we deserve this pain or how could it happen or why me? And those are fair questions. But, but Jesus said, it's really not, a, it doesn't boil down to that. What it boils down to, Jesus said, is there are two forces at work in your life. One of them, the thief, is the evil one. He's Satan. He's been around since the beginning. And he hates your guts. And he will lie to you because he wants to destroy and steal away your life. And so what the evil one wants you to do is to take these core questions, right? These deepest questions in our human nature. And he wants you to take those questions to any other place other than God. 
The other voice, the other force, Jesus said, is your heavenly father. It's your father in heaven. And I have come that you would have life in him. So God wants you, your heavenly father wants you to take your deepest questions. All right, your why am I here? What's it about? Where do I belong? How am I to live? God, Jesus says, God wants you to bring those questions to him. And he will answer your identity and your purpose and that will flow from him into your life. Everything he has is good for you. Every good thing he has for you is yours. But we find ourselves in some dark places when we choose to take our questions, those most important questions, to other places. Many of us will take our questions of value of masculinity or beauty to a spouse or to a girlfriend or boyfriend. Some men, many men, will take the questions of of, of their masculinity and what it feels like to be a real man, and they'll put that on their wife. And a wife will take the, the question of, am I beautiful? Am I worth it? Am I accepted? And they'll take that and we'll put it on our husbands. And our young women and our young men will look for it in the lives and conversations and in the physical relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend. But the problem is when we take the deep questions of my value and my beauty and my masculinity, what it looks like to be a real man, when we take that and we put it, guess what? Boyfriends come and go. You can get dumped by your girlfriend. Marriages fall apart. We know this. Who then is there to answer your question? We can take questions. Many of us will do this. Questions of our purpose. Man, many of us will take that to our career, to our job, or maybe to our role on the basketball team or or some other place. And, and many, many moms and, and dads will take their questions of purpose and will actually take it to our children. Our children, babies, toddlers, young people, teenagers, and we burden them with the question of purpose. But jobs can be lost, factories close, you can get injured or not make the team. And your kids can go off the deep end. And then what? Some of us will take our deepest questions of identity and belonging. Who am I? And where do I belong? And we'll take it to sex and sexuality and money and social media. And that fills, that answers that question for brief moments of time. But the problem is when we take the deep questions of where do I belong and who am I and we take it to sexuality and accumulating stuff and the quick hits we get off of social media, you have to keep going back to those things for more to refuel and to refill for just a brief moment again and again. Now, We've all taken our deepest questions to those places, every single one of us. I don't know if it's any consolation to you, 
but we weren't the first people to do it. We're not the first culture to have, to, to have this, this, this side, this dark side. It happened from the very beginning. The writer of the first, I don't know if you know, the writer of the first book of the Bible, uh, we believe it's Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, he tells us the account of creation, of, the, of the, fir- the creation of the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And what we're left with is in this picture of Genesis chapter 1, all right, and following, is, is Adam and Eve had no questions. They had no questions. They lived in this completely satisfied relationship with their heavenly father. He walked with them in the garden. They didn't have questions of identity and purpose and belonging. They knew who they were. They knew where they belonged. They knew their value. They knew what they were meant to do and how to live. I wonder, do you, do you know what the first question in the Bible is? What the first question asked in the Bible was? It's, I'll give you a hint, it was not asked by God. The first question was not asked by God. In Genesis chapter 3, we're told that Satan, the serpent, approaches Eve, and he will pose the very first question that we know of in human existence. Do you know what it was? Did God really say that? Did God really say that? And that liar, the thief, looked at Eve. Did God really say that he was all you need? Did God really say that all of the best things in this life he provides and breathes into your life, did he really say that? Eve, look at me. Did God really say that you were a dearly loved daughter? The very first question ever asked, did God really say that? And Eve looked for the answer. And she took her questions, the deepest questions that a human being will ever have, she took that question to Satan. And then she took the question to the fruit on the tree. And then her partner, her lover, her protector, Adam, took questions of his, that longed deeply in his soul. He took it to his wife. And in one moment, one question with diverted resources to find answers, sin and death entered this world. And I know in my mind, that if it wouldn't have been them, like it would have been the next couple, do you know what I mean? Maybe you've thought through this before. But they took their, where should they have taken their questions? If Eve ever thought for a moment, the question, if it ever passed her mind, I don't think it could have, but who am I really? They, They should have taken it to God. They should have taken these deep questions to their heavenly father, but they didn't. And it led to death. Someone posed this statement, I guess, or you know, opened my eyes to this statement the other day, and I want to share it with you. Where you take your questions 
determines your direction and ultimately your destination. Think about this. Where you take your questions of worth, of identity, of value, of purpose, determines your direction and ultimately your destination. I'm going to ask you to say, repeat that with me right now, okay? If it's still up there, here we go. Where you take your questions determines your direction and ultimately your destination. Where is it that you've taken your deepest questions? Where is it? I, I, I want to ask you for a moment. A moment, it's just a moment, but I would love for all of us to participate. If you could take out your program, all right? Um, and I know that you will usually just take kind of one per family or whatever, but pull out your phone or, you know, have somebody tear the program in half and give you half of it. I want everybody to just be able to jot a couple things down, two or three things down. Everybody in the room, just, I, I, I just want you to, you, you can bring up a note on your phone or iPad or whatever. You can delete it right after we're done. I say it's not something you're turning in for a grade. Um, here we go. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to answer for yourself. You're not sharing this with the person next to you or anything. It's just you and God. Where is it that you take, take your deepest questions? Of value, of worth, of identity, of purpose? Where is it that you take it? Where have you taken those questions? Just jot down two or three. When you need to be reminded of who you are as a real man, guys, what feeds that? Ladies, um, when you're feeling lonely or unattractive or unwanted, where is it that you take that question to feel attractive or wanted? Just write down two or three, four things. Where is it that you take the deepest questions? Jesus tells a story probably one of the most famous ones he's told. Some of you, you'll get to hear it maybe for the first time today, which is really cool. Um, Luke records it for us in his narrative of Jesus's life in Luke chapter 15. Jesus tells this story of two sons, uh, two brothers. And in this story, I want you to pay t attention, and we'll kind of draw some out as we just read through the narrative of where these young men take their questions. What are their questions, and where do they take them to find answers? All right? Now, when we read this long of a narrative, I would encourage you to, to open up your Bibles and follow along in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Um, you know, or open it up on your phone. You can interact with the text on the screen, but also having it there on your own close by also just kind of helps you get more familiar with the text and with God speaking to you through it. We have free Bibles at the hub, so when you leave here, you can grab one at the hub on your way out. That's a gift to you. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11, and um, here's the story Jesus tells. It says, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. 
The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So, you know, I think an important, there's so much background that's so rich in the story that we don't have time to get into today another time. But one of the important things that this is, when, when a father dies, his inheritance would be split between his children, all right? But this guy's not dead yet. So when his son comes to him and says, I want my inheritance now, the son is ultimately saying what? I wish you were dead and I hate you, you old man. So give me my money now. And the father does. Well, the question that this young man has in his heart is, what am I here for? Like, what am I here for? Something's better. Everybody else has it better than I do. So what does he look to to answer the question of what am I here for? You, you see what he asks for. What does he ask for? Money. Wealth. To answer the question of why am I here? Is this going to last forever or is there something better? He says, I know money and wealth will answer the question. Keep going, verse 13. A few days later... Um, this young son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there, he, isolation, all right, family and friends are distant. There he wasted all of his money on wild living. So a question this young man had as he's packing his stuff and he set it off is like, you know, wh where's my worth, right? Where can I find worth and excitement that's going to fill this void I have? And where does he go? The party scene. He's clubbing every night. All right, it's prostitutes and sex and alcohol and who knows what else. To fill the void, to answer the question, what's my worth? What's life all about? And keep going, verse 14. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So what's the question he's asking? I, think, I see this young man asking, who, who am I? What's my identity? And you see him go through it step by step. He's going to take his question of identity to where? To his failure. To his past mistakes. And then he goes as far as the saying, I know, I'm a slave. I'm a servant. I'm not a son. I don't deserve to be a son anymore. My circumstances. Ultimately, he takes his question, listen, listen of who he is, and he goes to his circumstances to find the answer for it. I must deserve this because I have done that, therefore I'm not this, I'm that. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His, he, said to his son, or the, he said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Verse 22. 
But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. So the servants run in to find these gifts that just, that, uh, of this finest robe, of the signet ring bearing the family crest and, and, and these sandals to put on his feet. And they're going to celebrate with a feast because the son has returned. He's been given the dignity and shown the value that he is not a slave. He's not defined by his mistakes. He is a son. And who is it that answers the son's questions? It's the father. It's his dad. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Remember, there were two sons. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't even go in. So his father came out and begged him, but he replied, all of these years I have slaved for you, and you never once refused to do a single Thing. I, I never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all of that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. See, this older brother has got questions too, doesn't he? The older brother's been asking the question, how should I live? How should I be? And you know where he's taking his questions? to his work. I'll work my way to earn this family privilege. I will work and be obedient and I'll be religious and I will work my fingers to the bone so that my dad knows that I'm good. I'm a good son. And the son had this question of how should I live? And he took his questions to what he could perform. And look how the father answers him in verse 31. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and get this, everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and has come back to life, and he was lost, but now he's found. Man, the thing that just breaks my heart about reading this story in this light is that you have these two young men who had all the same questions you and I have. Why am I here? Who am I? Where do I belong? And how should I live? And they took those questions to everything, to every place except for the one place they could find answers. And that was with their dad. That was with their father. And so they asked the question, who am I? And the father looks at them and says, no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, you are my son. You are my daughter. That's who you are. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You're my son. You want to know who you are? You are my son. And these brothers struggle and they say, okay, but why am I here? And the father says, you're here to fulfill my purposes as my son and my daughter. 
Sons, if you know your identity rests firmly as my beloved son, then then and only then will that identity fuel your purpose. It'll be my purpose, your purpose, my purposes will match yours as my son and my daughter. But where do I belong? And the father says, you belong right here in this family. And I've created a community of people of where my other sons and daughters will come together. And that's where you belong in community. How should I live? How should I live? You live as my son. You live as my daughter. And all the delights and privileges and freedoms that come with that. You live like that. And until you and I know our true identity as a son and daughter of a really, really, really good dad in heaven, where we take our deepest questions about this life to him, until we do that, then we will never be able to grasp our identity as a son and daughter of our heavenly dad. You have teenagers in your home and in your life who need to know that. You have 10-year-olds in your home and in your life who need answers to these questions. The age group in 2017 that committed suicide in the highest numbers were those 45 to 54. Moms and dads, grandparents, your siblings, and your spouses and your coworkers need to hear that. The second age group that took their life more than any other was those 85 years and older. You have aging parents and friends and neighbors who need to know that they are sons and daughters of a very good dad. Everything our father has is ours. He's a good dad. And he delights in you. And he loves you very, very much. So here's what I want to ask us to think on here today as we go into a time of reflection. Four percent of our population contemplated suicide in 2013. I'm guessing that's low because people lied. I'm guessing it's low because now we're almost in 2020. There are more than five people in this room who have thought about taking their own life. So let me talk to you for one moment. Tell someone. Tell someone. The voice inside your head that tells you to be quiet, that is the voice of the evil one. And he hates you. And he wants to steal your life away.
but he's a liar. When he tells you that nobody will listen, he lies. When he tells you that nobody will take you seriously, he lies. When he tells you that nobody cares, he's doing what he does best. He's lying to you. When he tells you that the people you love the most would be better off if you weren't here, he's a liar. And he wants to destroy your life. Silence is the enemy, so tell someone. You won't be judged. You're not going to get an eye roll. You're not going to get a get over it. Tell someone how you're feeling. Tell someone that you've had these thoughts. For those of us and those of you who love someone, check on someone. Check on them. Ask the questions of your teenagers. Ask the questions of your friends and your coworkers and your aging parents. How are you really? Have you ever thought about hurting yourself? Every mental health professional in the country will tell you, bringing up the topic and asking the question does not give someone the idea to do it. That's simply not true. Ask someone. Have these conversations. You can see on the, that, again, that insert in your program is going to be, a, a, I think, a really great tool. If you don't know your identity as a son and daughter of a good dad in heaven who would go the lengths to prove his love and his care for you, if you've never heard of that, if you've never accepted that love in relationship with him and, and, and given your trust over and been baptized, we have a class going on this hour next Sunday on baptism. And I would invite you to sign up and go and listen and ask and just hear of this great dad who is so proud of you and has never looked at you once and had a bad thought about you. Take your questions to God and lead others to do the same. So pray with me. Dad, Dad, from you flows who we are. From your love flows why we're here. From the delight that you have in us when you see us flows our purpose and our community. I don't know what to say to that, Dad. Other than thank you. Would you, and every man and woman in this room, rain down the truth of our identity? 
as a son and daughter of our Heavenly Father. Lead us in wisdom to the help that we need, to the people who will listen, and to the healing that only you provide. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.